Welcome to Talking Property, where you get the inside information into what's going on in the Australian and Asian property markets from leading property and investment experts. Welcome back to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property Podcast. I'm Nelson Yap, editor and publisher of APJ. My guests today are uh, Max Capps, Victorian Investment Director, Johnny Woodhouse, and Salvo Property Group's General Manager, James Maitland. Welcome to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property Podcast, James and Johnny. Thank you, Nelson. Great to be here. Yeah, hi, Nelson. It's good to have you back, Johnny. And But James, you're our first time uh, guest on the Talking Property Podcast. So it's going to be exciting for our listeners and readers to hear what you have to say or your views about the market. Well, hopefully I'm not too nervous and I don't uh, stuff it up. So fingers crossed. <laughs> I had a good night's sleep. So I think things should be good. Uh, <laughs> you're prepared for it. All right. Well, yes. let's kick right into it because there's a lot of things happening in the market. I mean, uh, I always say that, but it does always, it seems to be the case. I mean, you know, interest rates and everything and the market, and the housing prices, housing supply. So, well, let's kick right into it. So I want you both to start and I guess um, you can, whoever decides to take the question first, um, is give us an overview um, of the past 12 months. What's happened there? Who wants to go first? You want me to kick off? Yeah, why don't you go, James? Yeah, well, I think it's it's been interesting, as you said, Nelson, the last 12 months, but mm. I have to say, over the last 20 years yes. there's always something um, and it's something that we always sort of talk about as you said whether it's interest rates, pandemics GFCs uh, banks having issues with funding, construction prices if it was easy everyone would be doing it so <laughs> I think whilst you know, we've had some significant challenges over the last 12 months and, and you know, the last few years there is always a challenge, and I think that's what's great about our industry. And I think, in particular, you know, some of the the key organisations and individuals is that it's where they rise to those challenges. And I think that's where we see some some really good things happen and some not so good things happen. Um, mm. You know, it definitely has been uh, challenging as an industry as a whole, um, with interest rates obviously putting a lot of the homeowners. Uh, you know, under pressure, as well mm. as perhaps causing some people to, you know, pull back their demand for new housing. And on the flip side, when it comes to businesses, it's it's obviously been particularly tough with construction. Uh, you know, prices have been skyrocketing out of control. Um, you know, I've had a number of conversations with some other key people in the industry where they've kind of said to me, look, this is the first time in 20, 30, 40 50 years even for some of the older veterans where they haven't been able to put their finger on exactly what it's going to cost them to build something. And we've right. seen that you know, in the in the sort of low-density volume house builders where a number of them have, have struggled and, and some of them have obviously, um, you know, quite uh, well noted, gone under and are not with us anymore. So, you know, it's it's been tough, but I have to say there is still a lot of positivity out there. Uh, things are still getting built. And I think at the end of the day, Australia is one of those countries where we are continuing to grow year on year, irrespective of where things are going. And that means mm. we need more housing. You know, we're becoming much more lifestyle focused, which means our housing needs are changing. And I think, you know, as a whole, the industry is doing a, a pretty good job to adapt to that. 
Um, and I think we're going to see some big things over the next few years. Mm. Uh, Johnny? Yeah, I mean, good summary, James. I suppose from our perspective, it's, it's been a good 12 months. It's been a lot of hard work. And the, the, one of the comments James made around, you know, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. It hasn't been easy. And I think if I, we look at our pipeline around development deals that we were anticipating funding in the last 12 months, mm -hmm. we have done a number of those, but there are still deals that just haven't gotten off the ground for all the reasons James has talked about. You know, it's costing it, the feasibilities that were prepared 12, 18 months ago don't just don't work anymore. And it's right. That's a combination of the the construction costs and the uncertainty there, definitely the interest costs. And I mean, on the bright side, I think projects that were set a couple of years ago where we were in a much different interest rate environment and we've seen overruns from a, from a financing cost perspective, that's sort of washed through now. So at least you're not getting tripped up by that so much anymore. Um, but, and I mean, the approval process is taking longer. And then of course, sales are, are hard and then you do secure the sales and there hasn't been as big a challenge in Victoria, but they, they're not, the, the market hasn't moved forward in terms of price per square metre. So, you know, that's where the feasibilities also don't stack up. So that's a, I mean, from a, from a, that's been a, that's probably the story of the last 12 months. So in terms of like, I want to go back to what James was saying about construction costs um, and, and, you know, and, we add to that we've got labor shortages and all these things have we seen the peak yet uh, from the you know james in your you know side from developers have you seen uh costs sort of or you believe it's peaked um where are we going from uh from here yeah look it's it's hard to answer that question um mm. i think whatever way i answer that there'll be some groups that will agree some that will disagree and <laughs> i'm skeptical or scared to say something because I know our building partners will say, see, I told you our prices aren't that bad. Uh, <laughs> I got another way of change. But look, I think mm. this is probably one of those times where, you know, we joke about it internally that, you know, it's events like this that sort out the men from the boys. Mm. Um, construction costs going up. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's not great. But if you've got your fundamentals right, you know, you've been buying sites, right? You understand your market, you understand your customers. It's not an insurmountable challenge. I think it's, you know, it's also where the head contractors sort of forward book is and how they're sort of set. You know, I think definitely some of those larger contractors that have got a lot of the, the government and infrastructure work, they've mm. got a pretty solid pipeline and a great customer in, in having government contracts that they're going to take a very different view to some of those, um, you know, sort of mid-tier, you know, pushing towards top-tier contractors that are very much focused in the private sector um, mm. and may have had some big jobs, but, you know, I'm kind of saying at the end of the day, they don't just build when it's good and not build when it's bad. they got to be building every single day. So I think they're the smarter contractors that are sort of looking at and saying okay yeah some of these subcontracts are still out of control but others are stabilizing is there different ways to build um you know 
we're getting ready to launch a new project in the next month or two. And, you know, construction's been a big discussion around what is it actually going to cost us. If we're building it today, <clears throat> what materials are constrained by time? You know, how do you do these things? Is there an alternate way? Um, you know, I know it was revolutionary when the idea of precast concrete came out. Um, I'm not suggesting that there's an, another revolution like that, but there are things and ways to do things differently. Um, hmm. Got to explore, and, and they might work for today, um, and they might not work tomorrow. So I think those that have been in the industry a long time will say this is no different to any other challenge, and you right. just need to work harder and get through. And and but it but it definitely is difficult, as Johnny said. Prices aren't skyrocketing the same way that underlying costs are. Um, mm. and interest rates. Thank you, Johnny, for continuing to follow the Reserve Bank's lead and putting those <laughs> up. But, um, look, I think that's just where you, you need to dig deep and find ways to be smart and still be able to deliver the right product that, um, that suits and make it financially viable. Mm. Now, I, I want to look at now the trend, because obviously you're both from Victoria, I want to look at what are the trends that are emerging or what are the trends that you're seeing in, in this market that's different from other uh, jurisdictions or other states and cities? Want me to go first? Well, I mean, I was going to say, because we're not, <laughs> I'm not operating in the other states and cities, mm. I mean, I think I think it's a pretty stable, as far as it goes, it's pretty stable in Victoria. In right. Relative, and, and you know we've got a, a strong union presence on the builder side, but that gives a, probably a bit more certainty. And there are fewer owner builders down in Victoria than say in New South Wales, which you know has its advantages and disadvantages. I think sales sales have probably been like probably been harder for up developments down here. Actually, that you know you see them going pretty well up in Queensland, but then it's hard to settle on a construction price that actually works for the project. So yeah. things aren't moving ahead there. In New South Wales, there's more of an acceptance for uh, apartment living locally, I, I think you'd, you'd argue. And I mean, you're constrained by land there as well. So things stack up a little bit better so that they still sell. I mean, there are other challenges there, you know, probably, probably more focused on the builder side, I'll, I'd suggest. But it's probably been a sales story and there's been a shift. I mean, it hasn't really played out, and I suppose we wait to hear what Dan Andrews has to say on the government's shift in focus around development. But the yes. the seventy thirty policy around bringing the focus back in from the infill PSP type developments back to um, more density development uh, is probably you know provided you can still get things activated and get approvals. And it feels like a long time here and everything is delayed on the approval side. But again, yes. probably, it's probably actually better here than it is in other states. So mm. I think there are, there are some tailwinds around development here and some and yeah, <laughs> challenges on the other side. Yeah, I think, Nelson, <laughs> um, I have been in Victoria for about 12 years. I came from Bondi in Sydney and um, I always joke with everyone. Someone told me the weather was better in, in Melbourne and the beaches were better. Um, I don't know who told you that. <laughs> but anyway. um, similar to uh, when I picked St Kilda at the time, it was around oh, 2010. Jesus. There'd been the two-time grand final. 
um, which they didn't win. And, and, you know, this is the first year I think they've made it into the top eight. So big yeah. things might happen. But I'll tell you one of the things that I really noticed that was different, um, you know, in Melbourne compared to Sydney, and, and Johnny sort of touched on it, the density and, you know, the take-up and, and so forth is so different and still, you know, over a decade later, um, mm. Melbourne has probably, I'd say, it's got to be at least 20, if not 25 years behind where Sydney is. Now, mm. yes, you've got the harbour and you're constrained by water and so forth, but I'll tell you what, growing up in Sydney, you only ever lived in apartments and that mm. was just a way of life. Yeah. And I think that's definitely a challenge um, between the two states that in Victoria, it's very much seen as an investor product. I think, you know, Victoria, whilst planning is still a challenge, I think, you know, one of the things that has been, uh, you know, eye-opening and, and a good thing is the way that around the inner city area, they've created their capital city zone, which mm. means planning is dealt with by the state government and you can't have the objectors that you get out in these suburbs has meant we've had some really good sensible density occur um, and you know and it's focused around those transport hubs and everything so I think when we look at the renewal that's going through the CBD um, in our favorite patch South Bank you know I think it's a great urban renewal story in terms of you know what was just an industrial area and what's happened over the last 20 years but I think with that comes <clears throat> you know, a market that hasn't yet fully matured and said, right, we want these lifestyle elements. We want to have fun. We don't necessarily want to have to commute the way that we used to. And that changing in mindset from, you know, the six, 700 square meter block with a three or four bedroom house to mm. saying apartment living isn't just for renters. It is for everyday Aussies. It's for everyday Victorians. And that, I think is, you know, a, a challenge when it comes to pre-sales, as Johnny said. I think, you know, there's no doubt um, in my past doing pre-sales in New South Wales was far easier because you did have a much more diverse customer base. Um, but I think, you know, that's something that will mature. And I think that's one of the great things that Victoria has and, and particularly, um, you know, Melbourne and the inner city areas as ahead of it is that as that market matures, we're really going to start seeing some of this medium and high density really become, you know, uh, a way of living that people aspire to and, and want to be there. And I think that's, that's going to do big things given the population growth that's coming through, given the diverse and, and multicultural um, residents that we've got, we're definitely going to see that mentality start to shift and, and change it. I mean, we've been having this conversation for years now mm. around the and it's in some respects amazing that it it still hasn't happened and yet you can't open the paper or, or a journal and not read the housing supply challenge yes uh, well australia and i i, I mean I, i'm not actually up to speed with the exact statistics but last time i looked victoria was was worse and i mean that that, that is a way to alleviate the burden mm. and, and it's not you know, it's not a dark, uh, borrowed light proposition. There are, there are good. There is good product available at an affordable price, right? And and you know, there, there is a market that wants to live in a still live in a six hundred square meter block or four hundred square meter block, and there's still 
there's still supply there. There are challenges there at the moment as well, but you know that that is viable. But but there is a big demographic that doesn't want to live in Rockbank or mm. or Clyde, and that's fair as well. And I think that's the solution. But we still haven't had the proper mindset change. Yeah, and look, I think the good thing about Melbourne is we've got all of these areas, you know, that we've done urban renewal and we've still got to go, you know, just look at Fisherman's Bend area and so forth. But probably it was unlucky that if we think, you know, the first big urban renewal area in the inner city was Docklands. And, you know, look, there's no doubt if you reflect back, things could have been done differently and could have been done better. Mm. When isn't that the case? But I think that coinciding with the GFC and the stories of families, you know, saying I can't rent my apartment, so I've got to sell my house and move into it, and that start stop that happened, um, I think that scarred a lot of people here. And mm. you know, it's interesting. People have short term memory about the good things, but a very long term memory about the bad things. And and that's probably unfortunately set back that change a little bit. From people that that do remember that um yes whereas you know you you look at some areas and i know sort of in in our you know preferred area here in south bank we've got all range of residents you know right up to sort of retirees who say i don't know why i didn't move here earlier you know i love i love the hustle and bustle i love being around the young people you know i love the fact that i can just walk everywhere um you know if I decide to be up past my bedtime of, of 7.30 p.m., I can get I can get food, you know. They're, everywhere's open. It's a 24-7 city. And, and I think that's, you know, you get more experiences like that. You get more of these um, groups of people that, that share that experience. And, yeah, it might be another decade. You know, Johnny could be right. It's been talked about for a long time, but mm. it's coming. Well, I'm not saying another decade. I am just saying it's been... As long as I've been doing property in Australia, yeah. it's been the conversation about the shift. Mm. We're just not quite there yet. MaxCap Group is one of Australia's leading commercial real estate financiers. Since inception in 2007, they have originated and managed $14.5 billion across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack. It is interesting because um, I can't recall now, but a few weeks ago we did run a story. um, I might have been the Productivity Commission in New South Wales that did the report that talked about how actually if we built around um, uh, areas or suburbs, et cetera, with existing infrastructure already in place, which, you know, places like South Bank of Shimon's Bend, if we're doing a comparison in Victoria here, the costs would be lower because the infrastructure is already in place. Whereas if we keep pushing out to, you know, beyond the urban sprawl, et cetera, the, the cost to deliver projects is high because of their, so their infrastructure costs, um, you know, to bring in new infrastructure. So it makes sense that we've got, as you said earlier, James, fishermen's spin is just literally there. <laughs> it's yeah. like a st- you can throw a stone and it's there. Um, and it doesn't make sense that we haven't been able to kick that on yet. Um, even you know, oh gosh, it was talked about what almost a decade now. Um, when you think about it, um, so mm-hmm. yeah, we've got that that great opportunity, which is Fisherman's Bend, that could deliver so much housing, um, well, for not, people. Not just Fisherman's mm-hmm. Bend, Nelson, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, again, as someone who's not from Victoria, I'm often Fisherman's Bend is a great example, but even mm-hmm. Kensington and 
at North Melbourne precinct. Absolutely. You know, I, I was amazed at the amount of land there that is not residential that will be. And I mean, you're seeing a lot of the built to rent stuff that's coming to market as well and taking mm-hmm. maybe first mover to a degree there. But, but I mean, there are many opportunities with great locations in Victoria. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I live in Footscray, so I've been seeing a lot of developments happen. I, I, it's fantastic because we've got that sort of, um, yeah, the, the suburbs that just ring around Melbourne CBD and there's so much development potential there to house more people um, and, you know, to, for people to live near the inner city. So, yeah. Um, but I want to now move into um, looking at the, you know, obviously, MaxCap and Salvo Property Group have worked together. Um, I want to look at why did Salvo Property choose a non-bank lender versus a bank lender? And also from the financier side, from MaxCap side, is why did you decide to partner with Salvo? And what do you look for in a partnership? Uh, Who I'll wants to start? I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll go first. Um, yes. Johnny's giving me daggers and saying, you better say nice things. Um, <laughs> look, it's, I think if we take a step back for a minute, you know, the things have changed a lot over the last couple of years. You know, you look back five years ago um, and this term non-bank lender, you know, made sense probably yes. five years ago, and I think now it's a bit generic um, in that, you know, there's a non-bank lender and there's a non-bank lender, and, you know, they mm-hmm. can be very, very different. So one of the things that us as an organisation are, are really big on is, you know, finding groups that we can have a true partnership with where there's give and take, um, we can work together and there's a bit of a, you know, a good core understanding of each other's skill set and experience and the flexibility to effectively empower each other to, to get the job done. And, you know, that is, I guess, the true, you know, non-marketing uh, speak for what, you know, a good team is, whether they mm-hmm. be internal or external parties. So, you know, when we look for a funding partner, I think, you know, one of the the big things that's important when we talk about non-banks that there's probably, you know, a select group of which, you know, MaxCap are, are definitely the front runner that, you know, for all intents and purposes, the way that we would view it is we'd say they're a bank. They just don't meet the traditional definition of having a banking license and being regulated by APRA, but mm. they have a balance sheet. They have capital at hand. Um, which is very different to some of the the smaller groups that are also classified as a non-bank. And, and the way the industry was probably only five plus years ago where, you know, they're kind of committing to deals and then going and raising capital. So that was something that was really important to us is to know that when we look in the eyes of a funding partner and we shake their hands, that the deal's done. You know, documentation yes. is important, of course, but you know, that's a true partnership. That's a true relationship. And I think that's what's been great with Johnny and his team is, you know, we talked about the project that we've just finished and, you know, we went through a few things and pretty much within, um, you know, 45 minutes, we said, yep, there's a deal there. Now, of course, you know, the respective teams did their due diligence and went round and 
there was lots of questions, but we pretty much agreed a deal, said there's a structure and move forward. And this project that we funded together, you know, went through, you know, we talked about it. We launched this before the coronavirus happened. And, right. you know, the guys funded it through multiple lockdowns for everything changing. And I've got to say the, the relationship and the, I guess, trust in each other to get through what was a turbulent time, um, you know, was second to none. And, and that's why it has been such a success. And I think yes. that really is why some of these groups are, you know, putting themselves as, you know, the front runners. And I think that's why it's important when we talk about that group to sort of say that there is different categories within that. Um, and, you know, I know we've had some challenges, some things have changed, you know, the way that, that the guys wrote up the original funding agreement. Well, pretty much two minutes later, that got thrown in the bin and things changed. And mm. there was many a conversation where it was just, just trust us. It's too hard to explain what we're doing, but it's going to happen. Um, and to, you know, the whole team's credit, uh, I'm sure Johnny had many a sleepless night wondering. <laughs> he said, the guy that told me, trust me, he won't tell me what he's doing. But, you know, pushing the pudding, everything went well. Um, you know, some of the things that we're able to do by saying, don't worry about what's written in the document. You know, let's do it here. Let's think about how do we get, you know, things like the facade brought forward, which is a key thing in the construction. And how right. does that fit into your funding model? It's, you know, it was second to none. And, and I think that trust is is something that goes a long way to successful partnerships. Um, and that's that's really what you've got to look at in a funding partner. Um, mm. And I think that's why, you know, Max Cap and, and there's probably only another handful of groups that have stood through, have that capital ready to go, have that balance sheet and, and can do these kind of deals. And I think they're going to go long, long, long way. Mm. And to Johnny, um, the question is, I guess, on the other side is, what do you look for when you're choosing when you're choosing developer partners? I mean, from our side, Nelson, it is when you are a private lender and you've got and you've got a lot more flexibility. Mm. You know, we, we we're, what we're interested in is commercial real estate deals. Now, within that's that's a there are a lot of those, and there's a lot of different players within the market, and we're you know, we're, we're interested in looking at most opportunities. But then within that, there are easier ones and there are harder ones and there are stronger on the face of it deals and less strong deals. And I think if we talk about Salvo, I mean, predating my time at MaxCap, there's been a relationship. We've, we've right. had a relationship with Salvo for a pretty long time. Um, you probably had, probably on the capital side, actually. Yeah, we've, we've, we did our first deal. We've been on both the borrower and the lender side. So, so it's been a long relationship. <laughs> so it's been a long time coming and, but it's a no, it was a no-brainer. And I think about our, I mean, yes, we do do, we do a lot of due diligence on every deal that we, we do. And I think that's when you, you're further up the spectrum in terms of your of LVR course, yeah. and, and maybe having lower pre-sales thresholds and things like that, that's, that's natural. Uh, but the conversation internally around getting it through was very straightforward. And because, I mean, you look at Salvo Property Group and you know, the, the, there's really only a couple of, key players down in South Bank and Salvo's one of those. And that's, you know, we don't have to paint a, well, we paint the picture, but we don't have to paint the detailed picture around that presence and the experience here. And 
I mean, South Bank has its like like every location. Nelson has its nuances and yes, and how how do you sell and who do you sell to and when do you sell and when you're talking to a group like Subway, they, they know what they're doing. And actually that's a key learning for us to, you know, wanting to do more deals with Salvo is I think it, when I look back at how we structured some of the things and, and James is right, a lot went out the door because the market was under a lot of pressure and there are subcontractors under pressure and <laughs> approvals or section 73, one, sorry, 173 is coming out of left field at the last minute, but you know, you deal with all of that. But I think in terms of the sales process, we on our side, we've learned a bit about how it's done. And I think, you know, we we will focus more on getting that structure right with Salvo on the next project so that we don't then, because I mean, we don't, we never want to retrade terms, like that's really important to us. And mm. but by getting, understanding when you're going to go to market and a group like Salvo has so much, so many developments down here and you time them right. And so, you know, Palladium, finished around the time we close, yeah. but it's still, you know, there's still sales there, just as an example, right? And right. But having been through the last couple of years together, I think we're in a better position to talk about it. And then I mean the difference between us and a and a regulated bank, when you write it in a zero base rate, which Maxcap has nothing to do with James, uh, <laughs> environment, the delta <laughs> is maybe a little bit greater, but when your base rate's four percent, the difference between a bank and a non and a private lender is, you know, not that great. Your interest costs will be higher because the gearing is going to be higher. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I think you know, Nelson. That's don't get don't get me wrong. We're all in business to make money. Anyone that says yes. they're not is kidding themselves. So interest rates important. And Johnny, I want to see the interest rates lower. Uh, please go visit the Reserve Bank Governor and tell him I'm not happy. I'm not happy. <laughs> Heard now. We have a new Reserve Bank Governor. Philip Lowe last day yesterday. <laughs> uh, but look, it's it's not all about the financial terms. And I, and I think that's what Johnny was trying to say and, and definitely is something that we look at. You know, it's about the relationship it's about how you work together and and how you prove yourself in the tough times um mm. you know no doubt as an organization we've we've had some really really great projects and we've had some not so great projects where we've you know encountered some challenges and i think it's you know from a, a personal side it's it's what you learn from those and and take forward into the next jobs but i think it's also about you know that's where you really learn the parties that you want to work with and those that understand, you know, how things are done. Um, mm. And that's, that's really, really important because a few dollars in interest can pale into insignificance of, you know, having funding delays, having issues with drawdowns, having, you know, discussions about, you know, no, we can't do this. No, let's look at, at the document. And that's the way it's documented. You know, as I said, Documents are important and agreements are important because they formalise the understanding. But when you have to pull out the document and start referencing clauses, it's typically not a good and productive relationship. And, you know, before we started here, um, Johnny said, oh, yeah, no, no, you must have been happy with with that extension or this change. I can't remember what it was. And I said, I didn't (laughs) even know that we had that. And that's that sort of relationship that, you know, we're just getting the job done and, and you know everyone's aligned to that end outcome, mm. uh, and I think that's that's important across all disciplines. But 
no, none more important than the money side. Um, you know, at the end of the day, without the funding, without the money, you can't get stuff done. You know, it, mm. it's it's important. Money is what makes things go. That's why yeah. I stopped being a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, James, I want to look at um because you you know you mentioned a few things there about earlier you mentioned about south bank and retirees looking at these things and um you you south bank you oh sorry across your company salvo property group um you've sold over a billion dollars or brought over a billion dollars of projects to the market um and the section that you target or the 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 segment of the market is the luxury yet affordable apartments um so what i want to look at is how you know we talked about this before um the resistance to uh high-rise living in melbourne so what is the what has been the success for salvo in getting those buyers across the line and saying okay we're able to deliver all these lifestyle it's luxury yet it's still affordable so what what's your success without, um, you know, giving tips to other developers <laughs> to compete with you. I'm, I'm yeah. happy to be as transparent as I can. Um, yeah. Some of it might appear uh, mm. common sense. Some of it might not. Mm. I think, you know, if we just look at ourselves as an organisation, um, you know, we've done about 3,500 homes over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, we're planning to deliver that, again in the next five years so we've really wow. ramped the the pace that we're doing things mm-hmm. and i think that comes through maturity as an organization um but also you know being a developer is much like when we talked about the non-banks it's a categorization that that covers a you know a wide range whether you know i think most developers um you know are sort of you know, they might do one or two projects. They are just a project. Um, and there's very few groups outside of the listed um, companies with the, the big balance sheet and, and sort of passive investment side as well that you can sort of say are true developers that have a development business and are always building, always selling. Yes. Um, and that's, that's where we've sort of matured to over these last few years that now our pipeline um, of projects that we've got, you know, there's at least, uh, as I said, you know, 5,000 odd homes in there. We continue to go, you know, the strength of our balance sheet can support that. So right. then you look at how do you actually deliver that? Um, and the number one fundamental, I think, in any business is you've got to know your customer. Um, and it might seem silly. You might say, yeah, uh, duh, of course. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things that I think, you know, some people get a bit caught up, um, you know, particularly when it comes to property development, that at the end of the day, you've got to have a look. You're designing, developing, building, selling and settling a project for the customers, the residents of that area. It's not your personal home. So Mm. what you might want and what you might envision may not be what the customers want. Um, And... You know, Mario, who was our founder, he instills in us a lot of things, but there's just a couple that he does and, and some I will not say because it's probably not appropriate for, um, for this. But <laughs> one of the things that he 
he instills in us is, is two key things. First of all, he says, don't innovate. It's okay to, um, to imitate. Now, what he mm-hmm. means by that is you don't necessarily need to be groundbreaking, do something new. Sure, if you can invent the iPhone, fantastic. But he said, mm-hmm. it's okay to say, there's what's working. There's what the people want. There is what's highly successful. Replicate it. Do the same thing. Um, and the second fundamental that he drills into all of us here, and I think goes to your question about luxury and affordability and so forth, is you know, yes. get the product right for the market. So if the market is, you know, um, sort of the the middle part of the demographics, you're not building high-end homes, you're building affordable stuff, but you've got to think about that customer and you've got to do one of two things, he says to us. You either need to give that customer more for the same price mm-hmm. or you've got to give them the same for less. And that's really what we've instilled across everyone in this organisation and what we go to. So, you know, affordable luxury, it's a, a, a term that's thrown around everywhere. Yes. But we look at it and say, okay, what is luxury for this market? What is it that's important? What are the competitors doing? What are the buildings that are successful that people always want to live in there? What are the ones that are not so successful? What's mm. changed over time and and formulate the design and you know the desired way that that building will be, be used by their end residents to suit that market? And then say, right, are we going to do more than the competition and provide at the same price? Because that's value at the end of the day. That's what the buyers are looking for. Or are we going to give them the same as the competition, but give it to them for a cheaper price and, again, create value? So, you know, that's something that is instilled with us. Now, practically, how do you do that? Well, you've got to know your customer, as I said. How do you do that? Well, you've got to look at how they live. So, you know, very often in property development, it's find a site, design it, get some pre-sales, get the funding, build it, settle it, move on to the next one. Yes. Um, you know, something that we do in, in our services side of our business is we're with those customers through that whole journey um, to, you know, commissioning the building, operating it day to day, you know, in our real estate business, on the property management side, resales. And from that, you get to see how people actually live. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing more insightful mm-hmm. than that as to what you put back into the design. So, you know, when you say, right, that's it, everyone wants to have electric blinds. Well, do they really? Mm. I guess it's a great marketing thing to say to people, buy this, you'll have electric blinds. You have a look and you say, you know what? These people don't even put their blinds down. Or the game, (laughs) they have their blinds down 24-7, living in the dark, doesn't really matter. Um, Mm. You know, but do they want things like a pool? Do they want a gym? Do they want different things and i think that's you know uh, one example it's not revolutionary it's not sexy it's not cool it's not something you put on marketing brochures but mm. you know apartment developments 10 years ago parcels were not even thought about five years ago yes. it was an issue but now who doesn't buy something online right yes i know my family my kids my wife they spend more than i think the small <laughs> the GDP of a small country I reckon you have Johnny's family in as well. We'd yeah. be supporting 
higher economy. But, you know, with that, there's got to be a way that that can work seamlessly for residents. So they're the little things that, that work. And I think at the end of the day, if you get that right, you get that reputation, which is all important. You get those residents saying, hey, this is a great building. This is a great developer. They listen, they heard, and they're with you through that. And that keeps mm. going. You know, I think that's, that's the secret to success. It's not revolutionary. It's focus on the customer. Give the customer what they want and create value for them. It's interesting. You talk to some developers who have a real estate management business and the conversation is normally a negative one about how much of a drain on time and how little money is made on it. But you don't often have the conversation or the point James just made around the insight you get. And the con by having the continued touch points gives yes. you a better understanding of what you've delivered before to shape how you, what you deliver next, right? And I think that's a great point. I've got all those complaints too. All no, the staff, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. low margins and so forth. It's a tough business, but <laughs> it's part of looking more holistically at that whole customer life cycle and journey and kind of saying, we're with you. You know, we're, we're on this journey. We want to continuously improve um, and we're with you every step of the way. That's a, quite interesting. I mean, it, 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 having that customer insight, I've never actually now looked at it until now when you mentioned this, um, Johnny and James. So it, it, it's kind of like, you know, it, when we look at it from publishing perspective, how Google and all this hold all our data and hold all the readership data, that's actually quite valuable to have an insight into what customers want. Um, so yes, it, whilst that is a low margin business, but you're having so much insight that you're able to, yeah, uh, develop a product on other developments or bring forward other things that people want and having a gauge of it rather than just saying, you know, traditional developer, I'm just going to put something out there. And um, anyway, I hope that it sells. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And then yeah. just, so that, mm. that helps combat with, you know, what we're talking about at the start construction prices, mm. because mm. you can say, okay, yeah, it'd be nice to do X, but the customers don't really want it. So, yes we can make a cost saving there and deliver something else that they do want. Mm. Um, and, you know, you're not always going to get it right, but I think that's, that's part of design. And at the end of the day, there's no secret formula, mm. but that is part of it. You know, know your customer, do the hard work and be prepared to, um, to make those decisions, but educated decisions based on, you know, real live, data and an understanding of, of how people live and work and, and want to be. MaxCap Group is one of Australia's leading commercial real estate financiers. Since inception in 2007, they have originated and managed $14.5 billion across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack. I want to now touch on you know, Victoria, again, uh, our market that we're talking about, you know, post-pandemic, we saw obviously during COVID that uh, immigration stopped or migration stopped. Um, but now that the borders have reopened uh, for over 12 months now, population growth has surged back. Um, and we're seeing now with the housing supply, there's not enough. Um, rental rates are under 1% and stubbornly not going above 1% across major capital cities. Um, in April, I think data was showed that, sorry, April 
data release showed that uh, Sydney, sorry, Melbourne has overtaken Sydney as the largest uh, Australian city and Melbourne's forecasts or Victoria's forecast to add another 2 million people uh, by decade end, I think it is, to 6.8 million. Um, so we got to <laughs> house people somehow, right? So how, what needs, what I, I want to hear what from your perspective, from both of you, what needs to be done if we are able to house that extra 2 million people that are coming into this state? Well, I mean, you're going to have to, <laughs> yeah. I mentioned at the start, Nelson, that the, our pipeline still has a lot of the deals that we thought we would have funded a while ago still sitting mm. in the pipeline. You, you've, got to, you've got to find a way to activate development to deliver the supply that's needed. Now, there is, there is the build to rent story. We're right at the beginning of that. And I, it, yes, it's real. And I think there are a lot of large institutional listed type investors who are bringing that to market in Australia. I think there are some big quality private groups that have a good pipeline and they'll probably end up partnering with some of those uh, institutional groups. That's going to help a bit. You still need to activate that from from an approval side. And look, I'm not, in the private space, we don't, we haven't funded much build to rent stuff. So I'd be interested to know what, our banks are looking at it from a from a once it's completed and term funding perspective for the groups who want to be geared above fifty or around sixty percent. Like does mm-hmm. that stack up from a servicing perspective at the moment? But you know, we you know, we're definitely interested in that space to date. Some of the advantages we offer probably mean we haven't participated to a large degree. On the on the build to sell side got to find a way to activate construction. And I mean, one thing that we are, you know, max cap on our equity side, we've recently acquired, oh, 130-ish apartments in the in and around the CBD because, mm-hmm. at a, at a, because we believe that the demand is coming and the rates that haven't really moved in a decade, they, they have to move. They have to move. Yes in order for projects to get off the ground. And if you look at equivalent locations now, yes, they might be on a harbour in Sydney, but it's double the price per square metre in, in those locations. Yes. We've got a lot of room to for that to grow here. I think the pre-sale side of things, I mean, one thing we're looking at is we already have a lower uh, condition to activate your funding, but we're in discussions around bringing that down more and or even potentially looking at different types of structures you know where you might have a pretty competitive rate at a good gearing level and do say profit share at the back end so you don't have to sell to start with so that developers don't have to cannibalize their returns by by getting to x level of pre-sales and then watch the market move over a two-year 30-month build program and miss out on on some of that upside that they could have got. So mm. when everyone's trying, I mean, the government stuff, I know that in the affordable side where they're trying to do projects and get that off the ground, that's struggling as well. And I mean, you know, my wife happens to work at one of the affordable and social housing sort of larger providers in Victoria, and mm. they are struggling to get developments off the ground. So we need to, I mean, government has, to, has a role to play here, I think, in, in helping things get off the ground a lot faster, but we're all, we're all in this, James, what would you add? Yeah, I think um, 
two things. I want to just note what Johnny said there about as an organisation, what they're thinking about doing and coming up with different ways to, to be part of the solution. Mm. Now that goes back to the question you're asking about why did we work together on the most recent job? It's that kind of entrepreneurial thinking backed by a balance sheet that pretty much sums up, you know, where it is, you know, whilst we may not take up that kind of facility, I think it's that ability to think outside of the square. Um, but unfortunately, the four trading banks, they just don't have that ability because of the compliance and the regime they're under. Yes. And they're just, and they're too big and too slow. So after everyone else has done it, they might say, oh, that's a good idea and do it. But that horse is bolted. We'll be on to something else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but look, I think in the question that you, you asked and, and what Johnny said, I don't think we're going to solve the problem. Mm. And the reason I say that is it takes so much time. And, you know, I think whilst I don't want to be anti-government because I can't say that if I was in government, I'd do a better job. I think a lot of the views and policies and thoughts are either very short-sighted um, and, you know, that comes about by the fact that they have very short terms. They're yes. also the way that, that I guess our political system works. The minor minority groups to some degree rule because, you know, you need to, to win those majorities and so forth. So they get a much bigger... Uh, you know, input into where policies might be and then how they're driven than mm. perhaps the majority because of just the way things work. Um, but with that in, in mind, you know, why, you know, what can we do? Well, we've got to have a mindset shift as well that investors are not evil. You know, you open any paper, any website, there is all of those naysayers that are saying it's investors, it's capital gains discount, it's negative gearing, it's depreciation, it's you name it, they find a, a reason to say investors are evil. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's those mum and dad investors that are going to ensure that we can build new supply. And it's when you think about your children, when they first move out of home, they're not buying, they're renting. And you need those investors there. You need them not to be in, in short supply. And build to rent's not going to hide that hole because, as Johnny said, it's happening. But yes. it is never going to reach that scale in the short to medium term because it, it takes decade after decade after decade to create that key asset class. Um, and I think, you know, that uncertainty with, you know, uh, two elections ago, negative gearing was going. Then it wasn't going. Now, maybe it might be going, you know, locally here in Victoria, we're doubling land taxes, we're, you know, reducing thresholds, the off the plan stamp duty concession that was outlawed for investors back in 2017, I think, mm. um, you know, all of those changes, one, bring uncertainty and mean people are like, mm, you know, do I want to go ahead? Are, are they going to change the law on me? Um, you know, the foreign stamp duty, like we're absolutely destroying that, you know, worldwide international viewpoint of Australia being the lucky country and being open and so forth. Um, that doesn't help because at the end of the day, as 
you know, entrepreneurial and, and so forth that, that groups like MaxCap can be, they still got to underwrite the risk. And there's mm. still got to be some pre-sales. There's got to be a way forward. Um, and so all people need to work together. And the problem with medium to high density projects is you can't just flick the switch and they're on. Mm. You yes, know? that's right. There's mm. time in planning. There's time in pre-sales. There's time in you know getting your tendering, getting the construction right. There's actually building it. There's funding. There's staging. You know issues that come up. And you know we need to find a way in this state that we can be competitive to sell things out because we don't, you know, at the end of the day, owner occupiers don't necessarily take that long-term view because they don't have to here in Victoria. Mm. So they're not the ones underwriting the pre-sales, it's investors. Mm. And you touched upon that, the the foreign stamp duty. I mean, you know, that policy came up uh, over a decade ago. Back then we saw a lot of, Asian investors come in and purchase um, apartments. And I suppose that was the whole sort of publicity around it that, you know, we were selling everything out to uh, Asian investors, but they don't seem to, people don't seem to have that beyond that thinking that actually they helped bring a lot of the supply online um, by purchasing these apartments as investments. Um, so by we have essentially discouraged them um, investors from coming in here with our foreign stamp duty, additional stamp duty for foreign investors. Um, that's how I see it anyway. Um, and when I've traveled around Asia, now I see that funds that we have basically told said, no, thank you. We don't want you here. They've gone to places in, uh, in Asia instead. So like the Thailand or Philippines, um, that's where the Chinese capital has gone to purchase apartments. So, um yeah uh, that's just my thought um mm. i think that's okay mm. if as a nation as a state we say we don't want foreign investment we don't want the money in our homes okay mm. but offset that with good sensible policies to yes. encourage aussies to fill that void yes and that's where i think you know that that thinking hasn't been around it's perhaps been short-sighted and, you know, there's no doubt uh, if we look at the state of Victoria, mm. you know, we look at the budget, it's got massive issues going forward. You know, I think um, if I believe what I've read, you know, our debt is bigger than um, all the other states put together or at least close to it. Um, mm. and that, that's definitely an issue. So I understand why they're saying, well, we need to plug that hole. And how do we plug it? Well, the only method we've got is tax people more. Mm. But that's where somehow there needs to be a, a, a forward-thinking plan and vision to say, okay, let's get the message out and say we're going to beat up everyday Aussies for the next five mm. years because we've all decided as a state, as a nation, we want to pay that debt down. And then mm. we would accept the housing crisis is going to get worse and worse and worse. Our kids are not going to be able to afford to buy. It's mm. rents are going to keep going up. And that's okay because it's been clearly communicated. On the flip side, we might say, well, we're not going to chip away at that debt. We're going to take a longer-term view and we're going to solve everyday issues around housing, but it means we're going to be in debt for decades and decades and decades. And people accept that and we're doing these expansion policies to, to deliver on that. And I think that's... That's that balance, you know, and, and 
as I said, I wouldn't want to be in government because it doesn't That's matter true. what you do. Everyone will tell you you made the wrong decision. So, mm. you know, I'm not saying that I could do it better and I'm not saying they're doing a bad job, but I, I feel that we don't have a clear plan and vision that's clearly communicated to all of the people in Victoria and I guess from a, a national point of view, what is our plan? What are we doing? And, you know, let people understand why extra taxes are good or a necessary evil and what they're doing. MaxCap Group is one of Australia's leading commercial real estate financiers. Since inception in 2007, they have originated and managed $14.5 billion across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack. I want to now turn to sort of our outlook. Hopefully we have a more positive um, view of what's going to happen in the year ahead. Um, what are your uh, sort of outlook? We've already started the new, I should say, we're three months into, two months into the new financial year, three months. Um, what is your view for the year ahead, uh, Johnny? Nelson, look, I think, I actually think, I'm sorry, I don't want to bring you down here. Uh, I think there's still going to, I still, still think we've got some hard work ahead of us. Uh, we are still, we're just not seeing that level of activation, I've used that word a lot over the last sort of hour, is it's, it's just, it's still a challenge to get things off the ground. On the bright side, there are deals that we are seeing get off the ground and that we are either funding or we're competing to fund. Uh, there's just, I think there's a lot of hard work. I think hopefully as we see interest rates not continue to rise we might see some of that confidence or come back in terms of those purchases to make the decision to do it waiting isn't going to help i mean time is the biggest killer for everybody and whether that be you're buying your home waiting is not the right answer or kicking off or, or, or settling on a construction contract with a builder you, know, you might try and value manage it for three months you come back but that price hasn't held because it's gone up in a whole bunch of other places and you all you've done is paid more land tax and other holding costs. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, borrowers. Uh, so, but I think, I, I suppose, we're, we've got a, a greater level of stability, uh, which might provide more confidence to, to pull that trigger. And we've seen, I mean, office developments, it's been hard. It's a slightly different segment here, but some of them have, have gone ahead and, okay, leasing is taking longer. The pre-commits that, a bank might look for, they're not there before you start, but they're still coming before you complete. It, it, it might not be when you're coming out of the ground anymore either. It might be when you top out, but, but there is evidence of it. And we've seen some of the first movers uh, still be okay and still secure leases and incentives are higher, but it still works. So I, still, I think the underlying fundamentals of our industry are still strong and there are still good players within it. So there's still plenty of opportunity and there are structures out there from you know, that key capital partner that can help things, help you act, get get that project off the ground. I mean, don't, don't want to say off the ground. Obviously, it's been three or four years of hard work by a developer who's taken all the risks to get it to that point. But the next pivotal one to, to get it out of the ground and get it going. I, I think I think we're maybe, there you go, there's some optimism. I think I think the ability to get things started with once we're in, a, now that we're in a bit more of a stable environment. I'll make it even more positive. I, 
<laughs> I've got a bit of paper I've written down. I've told him, give me 100 mil signed here. Um, so look, uh, you know, from a general, you know, our industry and, and the end, you know, customers, buyers and so forth, we're an optimistic bunch as Aussies. We dig deep and just get stuff done at the end of the day. So I think, you know, people are still buying, people are still selling, people, you know, as we said, population growth is not slowing down. Um, it, you know, we're not Japan where we've got a shrinking population. So it's just going to keep happening. I think, you know, once the shock of interest rates pass, which will happen very soon, you know, if it is at its peak, people will remember, hey, this is what I was paying only a few years ago. Like, let's not forget, pre the GFC, you know, your, your standard variable rate on a home loan was like 9.85%. And that was a cheap rate. So now people complaining, oh, I'm paying six, I'm paying whatever it is right now. Hey, that's cheap, right? You know, go back and think about our parents when they tell you the stories, oh, you don't understand what it's like to pay 20%. Yeah, thanks, Dad. Um, like, fine, but, you know, that at the end of the day, interest rates are not going to stop things happening the way that perhaps some of the, the more vocal uh, commentators might be saying. So I think once that shock's gone, which, you know, we're starting to see, people just keep going and it just becomes the new norm. I think from a um, development and, and supply side, it's what Johnny was saying and I think what I was talking about before in terms of, you know, us as an organisation maturing and actually saying we are a proper full-time developer where you've got those people that have a project or two, as Johnny said, they're kind of saying, well, do I wait? Do I go today? Do I not? And they're perhaps going to be a little bit more cautious in terms of starting and delivering in this near term because they are going to say, well, you know what? Maybe I wait 12 months. I pay more land tax. I pay more holding costs, but the construction price might come down so much more that we're better off, right? I don't think that's right, but that's what I think a lot of people will do. And so really it's up to those parties that are building and selling day in, day out. You know, one of the things that we look at is we say, we are not building to sell today, notwithstanding we sell everything off the plan, but we're saying we don't get our money for three, four, five years' time, depending on the length of the project. So we're saying we can't predict what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone in three or four years' time. So you've just got to, you know, as I, as I went on before, you've got to build the right product, you've got to back yourself, you've got to have the right partners and just do it because there's going to be times when you go, wow, I'm settling into the best market ever. How easy is this? And there's going to be times that sucks and you're going to say, oh, my God, you know, let's not forget it was only back in 2016 when Apple brought around all those changes around, um, you know, obviously the the non-residents couldn't borrow anymore. Uh, self-employed people got smashed. Everything got destroyed. Um, and that was it, you know. And then, what, only a year later, we had a massive boom. So you've got to just keep going. I'm very positive because whilst ever there's population growth, there's a demand story. Whether, it's, you know, every market will have its different challenges. Um, which is why I believe, you know, the, the inner city areas are always going to have demand. Um, that population growth is always going to create that demand. 
It's just at what price level and you've just got to continue going on. So um, I'd say I'm, I'm pumped and that's why, you know, as I mentioned before, we're planning to deliver more in the next five or so years than we've done in the last 20. Um, we've matured as an organisation and, you know, we see that there's always going to be the demand. If we get it right, it's going to um, be a success for, for everyone. Like that optimism, that's a great way to end. Thank you very much, James. And so I just sort of want to say thank you, James and Johnny, for joining me on Australian Property Journal's Talking Property podcast. And hopefully I'll have you both back and uh, maybe next year it will be a total different discussion. It'll be uh, about um, how we've managed to solve all these different issues that we discussed 12 Hopefully, months ago. make sure you've got it recorded. Johnny said yes to the 500 mil. So <laughs> we'll, be, we'll have a lot more uh, underway uh, if we do talk again. It'll be fantastic. Thank yeah. you, Nelson. Thanks, Nelson, for having us.